0: Um, well, g'day, ladies and gents, and welcome to the Drones for Good podcast. Andrew Crowe is my name from American Consulting, as you would well know. Uh, for anyone else in Brisbane, I feel horribly horribly sorry for you. It's freezing. I can't believe it's so cold up here in, in the sunny state of Queensland. Um, two days ago, without a lie, it was colder in Brisbane than it was in Canberra. Um, I'm not relocating to Canberra regardless, but uh, it's cold up here. Um, We finished our UK tour, we we spun around the UK and spoke to a few companies over there doing some amazing things across some really different applications which was really exciting and today we're back in Australia, Um, but we're back in Australia but we're back on the other side of the country uh, this time and I think this is our first um, WA based organisation, Perth based organisation, we're going right to the top and it's the Western Australian Police Force. I'd like to welcome Paul Wimsett along. Paul, how are you mate? But Andrew. How are you, mate? I'm really well. I guess first up, mate, thank you so much for coming along. Um, I know it can be difficult to get permissions to, to get on and have a chat, so we really appreciate you coming along today and having a chat. Yeah, no worries at all. Great. Mate, um, I'm whinging about weather. How is it over in Perth? Oh, freaking freezing this morning, mate.
1: It's, <laughs> it's four degrees, getting out of bed. Uh wasn't too bad getting in the car with heated seats, so I can't complain, mate. But um, uh, I've got crew out in the ground at the moment that are, are saying it's rather chilly.
0: And the winds have just kicked up here too. Is it, is it windy over there?
1: Uh, No nice and light winds at the moment, or easterly, so it's nice and freezing in the morning. Uh, No cloud cover, so the the temperature's going right out. Um, But, I mean, that's just one part of our state where I am. Um, You know, we've got, uh, I think it's still 33, 34 degrees up in the north at the moment, and uh, even colder down below, so... Yeah. We, we have such a large state there. The, you, you
0: ask the weather and it just depends on which part you're in. It depends where you are exactly, nearly all the way up to Darwin. Hey, um, Paul, you're the Chief Remote Pilot for WA Police. Um, would you mind giving our listeners a bit of an insight as to what is the, what does the Chief Remote Pilot for WA Police actually do and what are sort of some of your day-to-day responsibilities? Yeah, look,
1: um, it's an interesting one. Uh, I, I juggle a lot of balls. Um, it goes from, you know, the oversight of the statewide operations uh, safety management, integration of the capability into policing, uh, st- strategic dis- uh, discussions on future plans, um, and a big part of it is actually expectation management. Um, as you know, that uh, the, the field is heavily regulated and uh, the police are no different from any other um, commercial operator. We still have to follow the regulations. Um, we you know, we have to apply for instruments, area approvals, or whatever the, the requirement may be, depending on our requirements as well. But... Um, being a police force, uh, our, our business is generally a little bit different from your regular commercial operator um, in the fact that most of our operations are dynamic and, uh, you know, a lot of bad stuff doesn't happen during the day and can't be planned for. So um, the, the officers that we've got involved, uh, you know, have to have that dynamic risk assessment running through their brain from the aviation perspective and the policing perspective at the, perspective at the same time.
0: Because it'd be very um, dynamic, isn't it? It's not a, you know, I'm assur- I'm, I'm assur- I am sh- I'm should start again. Uh, I'm sure that a lot of people, you know, get up in the morning and know what they're doing for the day. They're going to go out here, they're going to fly there, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. Your day must change, you know, constantly. C- can you give us some insight into how that tasking kind of works before we talk about some of those roles? Yeah, look, uh, it, it, it depends on the day. It, it's how
1: long <laughs> it's a piece of string, to be honest. Um, they're the jobs that we ca- get come through, because we have operators um, from the top to the bottom of the state, uh, we've got RPA throughout the entire state. It depends on what's going on in the district, and the region, on staffing numbers, on, you know, we, we could have a day where it's uh, a, a low day and there's not much going on and there's other days where um, everything, one after the other, after the other, there'll be problem after problem after problem, which then we provide the support for. So, uh, and again, you know, I've got a core team here at Jandicot um, of uh, me, myself plus four staff, uh, full-time employees, um, and... Uh, our demand outstrips our capability. So we, I think uh, last year we had 600 and something hours worth of overtime, at the core group here. Um, and hence why we've just gone out to to get permission to be able to get some more staff in, which is happening very soon. But um,
0: So, um, you know, Paul, we do a lot of work in defence and you guys are working in you know, protection of people. Um, we work under DASA, we work under CASA. Now, just, just confirm with our listeners, you guys operate under all the normal CASA regulations, don't you? We need to follow all of the typical requirements but can obviously get approvals like anybody else?
1: 100%. Uh, we, we have the same requirements as every other commercial user. Um we do have uh, instruments and approvals that allow us to get into, you know, three nautical miles of, uh, of controlled air AD, uh, ads when need be, mm-hmm. um, with a call to the tower. Um, but again, these are where we have the the uh, a priority to get into an area because it's it could be life critical or um, uh, community safety, police officer safety, something along those lines. But, yeah, we we still have to follow the regulations. We still have to have our maintenance in check. We still have to have our controller logbooks, the term, time and service logbooks. In fact, we need to be leading by example because our operations need to be um, to the letter of the law because as a law enforcement agency, it would be uh, ironic that we would be breaking the law to enforce the law. Um, and that's actually a message that we send out to our troops is that you know, it doesn't matter what your personal thoughts on the regulations are. The regulations are that, uh, are there as legislation that you must follow um, and to do anything contrary would be against your own position as a police officer.
0: Yeah, right. And so um, it's a really interesting line there, particularly around, you, you spoke a bit earlier about um, dynamic tasking and things happening really, really quickly. You know people people and all of us tend to get you know that that rush of courage and, and that you know rush of adrenaline when something happens um how do you train your guys to to really you know stop and, and analyze the situation from a risk perspective is that a deliberate discussion and deliberate training point that you have with them yeah 100 yeah,
1: um and, and this is the thing we, we've we have to have these constant uh, conversations where we say take your policing hat off and put your aviation hat on mm. because that's the culture that we have to drive is that um, you know, it's it's not just a, uh, a toy that you grab off the shelf at JB Hi-Fi. These are tools as part of your policing um, and you need to be able to use it as comfortably as you would do when you're shooting a gun or taking a photograph for evidence where it's a, a requirement for evidence in court. Um, they need to be competent at their job and they need to be able to take the police officer hat on, put the aviation hat on and have a clear head when they're operating these things. Um, it, it, it's... Uh, <laughs> There's no two ways around it. Um, police officers do get sucked in sometimes to that adrenaline rush where a lot of things are going on at the same time. Um, and we try to make sure that um, our, our crews are uh, trained as much as possible to be able to resist the urge to do something that's against the regulations. Now, mm. in saying that, we also have increased hours when it comes to... Um, specialised operations. So where, you know, the threshold may be um, standard for 10 hours for night operations, we'll increase it to 25 hours operational so that um, they're comfortable in the use of the equipment prior to them actually going out and using that in a non-standard format. Um, And again, you know, as I said, I've got a crew of uh, of four here that are full-time. Their operational capability, um, where they're using it on a daily basis and doing it in a very heavy uh, manner, differs from those guys that are using it um, once a week or twice a week out in the regions. So it it comes down to um, experience levels, qualifications, and our own internal training and support that we provide to our, our people.
0: Yeah, really good to hear. And um, I remember, you know, thinking back to my first time when, when we got into Afghanistan with with UAS and, um, you know, there'd be a call to go and support and all you want to do is support. You want to get out there, you want to get the aircraft in the air, but at times it just can't happen because of, you know, or requirements or legal issues or risk or whatever it might be. So it must be a difficult thing for them to deal with.
1: Yeah, 100%. But again, um, we provide the support. Um, hmm. we, we provide the support in many aspects because we get the guys trained up. As I said to you before, expectation management is a massive part of the job, is that we're making sure from the bottom up, we're feeding it to our remote pilots who then put it out to you know their fellow police officers to say why they can't do this or educate them around the laws. Um, and then from my position and the executive at, at uh, Police Air Wing, we then push it from the top down to make sure that we provide that education piece to the commanders, the assistant commissioners, to the commissioner or whoever else may be our audience because we need to provide that support to our guys so that they don't get in a paramilitary <coughs> organisation a direction from a senior officer to break the law unknowingly. So it's their responsibility as the remote pilot to be able to talk to that as to why they can't do it or provide a another way around to provide the same outcome. So it's there, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of work that goes into the communication strategies around the, the expect and expectation management as well.
0: And that's internal com strategies, you mean? Like actually, yeah, internally educating your people. Um, I can imagine that people just think, well, it's just a drone. Who cares? You know, we can buy it from JB Hi-Fi. We can throw it in the air. Just do it. What do, what do you mean? But you must fight against that occasionally as well. We, we have a very large workforce. Um, and one of the
1: problems that we have come across across in the past is that, you uh, you know, we, we will see every so often a video creep up on social media where an off duty officer has done the right thing by trying to help out and make things look great um, by using an RPA. But the problem is, is we see breaches of the regulations and it's not those off duty coppers that actually get the phone call. It's I get the phone call from cast to mm. say what's going on here and why. Um, are you in control of your organisation? And that's a really big stretch to go, you know, that chief pilot role is responsible for the actions of the off-duty officers Mm. outside of the business or even the social media posts. But, again, it's a piece that we have to be cognizant of to make sure that we keep working through that so that the messaging is getting out there so people have a better understanding of what we try to achieve and it doesn't impact our bigger operations where we're going out to, to try and save lives and you know, increase community safety or um you know increase the safety of our police officers as well.
0: So let's get into um some of the some of the you know the the, the guts of what we want to talk about today, which is kind of use cases and, and how you guys are using drones. Um at the end of the day, you know, I I think as an uneducated you know police person that your role is to keep people safe. You know it's, it's to keep our community safe. And that's what we we appreciate, you know, day in and day out that everyone does across our police services. What do you use these these drones for? How are you actually employing them?
1: Look, the, the capability has a wide-ranging usage in WA police. <laughs> I mean, from uh, critical life-saving applications such as search and rescue through to counter-terrorism, um, situational awareness for major events, the this, this span's huge. But, I mean, if you, if you want to delve down into it, I mean, the, a lot of the work that we see, um, crime scene reconstructions, um, for instance, uh, there was a task force um, Ravello, after a murder at a uh, uh, motorsport complex... Um, we were there the day after the event and mapped the entire scene so that there was uh when it went to court there was evidence to be able to pr- provide mm-hmm. to say this is what was going on this at this place at this place this, at this place etc um the crash reconstructions so um, there's we've seen a significant reduction in road closure times um we've got the ability to use lidar and uh, the you know the the phantom 4 rtks to accru- accurately recon- uh, reconstruct a crash scene um hostage and siege situation for situational awareness uh, for tactical decisions um, through to our state operations command center and the tactical commanders on the uh, on the scene. Um high risk search warrants where there's a situational awareness for the safety of the officers um, the ability to track offenders on foot uh, public disorder events you know whether you've got mass protests um, it allows the police to have a holistic overview of what's going on and target activities that fall outside the peaceful protests i mean protesting is great in Australia, but we also have to look at the people that are um, disrupting the protest to then talk, uh, go into unlawful protests, Um, arson assessments, uh, persons at risk, missing persons. So um, we've got a couple of really good examples of those. Um, uh, Taskforce Rodia uh, last year, which was the Cleo Smith. um, Yeah. Yeah. Just to give you a couple of uh, insights on that. we had uh, 19 days straight of operational ARPAS usage within that. Been um, looking for a... it. Five, five remote pilots involved, 147 flights, um, 46 flight hours. There were, you know, It was um, imagery related to both the search and rescue and investigative actions as well. So there was a lot of work that went on in that scheme um, to try and find a really good result. And we were working with a, a company um, that uh, comes out of Canada as well, around image recognition and certain colors uh, profiles that we were running um, the gigs of imagery that we uh, we had through this system to try and pick out you know um, uh, whether it was a sleeping bag or whether it was pajamas and all that kind of stuff but i think one of our cases one of the, the the runs that we did was a 50 kilometer piece of road from top to bottom to to see if either side of the road there was anything that was thrown out of the window of the cars that was going along Um, and another one, another recent one as well, um, we had a search and rescue going up on in the, uh, Newman area, um, where one of our remote pilots, um, one of the sergeants out at uh, Newman, um, the, at the end of the day, um, the crews had actually, um, uh, stopped the, the search for the day and there was a critical decision made by emergency operations to go, Hey, listen, we've got, um, a guy that's been trying to fly at night in the vicinity let's get him out there and do a couple of laps where we think this guy might be. Um, and yeah, on his last set of batteries, he uh, found our missing guy that um, <laughs> uh, was, was not in a good way. Mm. Um, but they actually not only just found him, but they also used that drone to then uh, guide the, the crews in because there was flooding around the area as well. And they guided him in, managed to rescue him. He was back down to Perth on flying doctor um, within hours and uh, got an update yesterday to say he's, he's recovering quite well, but um yeah, it's the, the, these are things that matter greatly to us. I mean, mm. this is what we're here to do, which is you know save lives. It is to increase um, the the public safety. Case It is to help our police officers stay safe in their jobs. And the, the the this capability, which is another tool in our tool belt, is a great one because it's essentially it's decentralizing uh, police airway. It's it's taking away from those costly air assets that uh, cost a lot of money to run, have significant maintenance schedules, um, putting it down into an affordable um, platform that allow us to then put it across the state. Because um, if you put it in perspective, I mean, we we have 72 remote pilots. Um, we have them spread out across the state. So they go from all the way up uh, uh, Karratha, Broome, um, Geraldton, uh, Bunbury, Albany, Kalgoorlie. Um, I think last month we had somewhere around uh, 900 flights um, in wow. the month alone, uh, and I think since the expansion, we've we've done nearly 10,000 flights in total. So there, there's there's a lot of work going on in the space, um, and it's just it's only evolving even more and more and more as we uh, as we as the executives see the the, um, the the results that we're seeing out of it.
0: Yeah. And I was doing some research prior to coming on today, and, and I did read that WA is the largest non-federated uh, policing jurisdiction in the world. Um, yeah. So I imagine using, you know, using drones now and into the future is certainly going to uh, help, you know, cover that cover that distance as well.
1: Yeah, correct. And and that's one of our major challenges is that um, when people tend to go missing, they go missing in the worst places. They're not accessible. Um, they uh, have little to no communications out there. So, we find that um, A, getting out to those places is hard and B, getting comms in those places is hard. So the, the, the likes of our future moves, where we, we look at the larger UAS um, types of fixed wings, uh, it, it, it would seem that that would be the likely way that we would go where we could actually send, you know, a centralized unit out, loiter over an area and then come back because A, the cost is lower, B, there's not so much requirement on the the, the crew pilots where they we could rotate them on the ground at a central place. So yeah, And you're not um
0: you're not stuck to roads and, and then you're not launching an aircraft with, you know, potentially a crew of three or four in the back of it as well. It's sort of yeah, I, mean, I was just writing some notes and you know efficiency is one of the biggest things that I, I keep writing down here. It's, it's just efficiency of doing things.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And 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 that's the thing. I mean Yes, we at, at the moment, the way that happens is that if there's search and rescue going on, we will deploy or remote pilots from one of our units or districts will deploy, go out and do what we do, but we're still hamstrung by the regulations because mm. we do have the extended visual line of sight class one and class two in, but the um, extended visual line of sight class two with the requirements around RX, uh, RX pilots, supervising pilots, and trained observers, it means if we've got a crew of SES that are going across a search pattern, their job is purely to look at the ground. It means we need to add another person or take someone off mm. of that search line that are doing their jobs. It's, it's not a replacement for other assets. And there's a lot of complexity added into there, whereas the beyond visual on a site with the you know a type certification um, where you get really into that, higher level of of airframe and qualification um we'll, that, that's the way of the future 100 we, we all know that
0: yeah so let's talk about the future a little bit um because i think current cases are great but we are still we're still playing in that lower end of the spectrum with uh with smaller aircraft and you know we have when we know that the ability to fly you know longer distances over over greater time spans range endurance etc cetera, etc cetera. um you know things aren't going to happen overnight and we know that and, and we've got a journey to bring people like CASA on along this this uh, this journey but where are we going in three to five years like how how do you think policing may change with the the more the bigger use of drones in the in the three to five year space
1: look and this is a thing that's unknown at the moment we know that CASA have just released their um white paper
0: and their, roadmap. Yep. their, their
1: uh up to 10 year plans and the Really, the integration of um, uncrewed into crewed airspace is in that five to 10, uh, five to ten year plan. Um, from a uh, from the emergency services perspective, I look at that and go, that's probably not aggressive enough for us. Mm. Um, and we would love to be able to explore moving that a little bit faster. And the good thing for us is that we do have a regional advantage, is that uh, we do have, as you said, the largest jurist- jurist- policing jurisdiction in the world. Um, <laughs> We, we can use these uh, advantages to then go, hey, how can we bring CASA on the journey with us? And then we go out and actually start doing some of this beyond visual on a site from remote operation centers, whatever it may be, and then start building the case up. Because mm. we know that the moment, the, the regulatory space is where we're lacking. The technology is already there. Like the airframes are already proven in these spaces. There are large airframes with millions of hours of, of flight time on them. Mm. Um, and yes, they may be in the defence uh, world at the moment, but that will filter down into the, the 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 private sector eventually, or you know, emergency services do get some latitude in that place. But um, th- this this is where we need to be going is a bringing Castro along on the journey with us, and it's that um, push into the the integration of airspace.
0: I've got got an opinion I'm keen to get your thoughts on. Um, I think there's there's work for industry, and when I say industry, probably the emergency service industry, to kind of get together and sort themselves out as well and say, look, this is how we think we should do things moving forward. Let's all get on a common piece of paper. Let's get a common plan together and then present that singular to CASA as opposed to five or six or seven or ten different emergency service departments going to CASA. Do you think that's possible and do you think that's a good way to go or do you think that you still need to do, you know, each state needs to go individually to CASA?
1: No, I, I think it needs to be a mix of both to be honest because mm-hmm. each state um they look after their operations separately um and they will run it there will always be the state who will run the operation will run yep. it in the way that they see fit um the policing jurisdictions all of our chief pilots uh, as as chief pilots we do get together and you know discuss what's going on and talk about the regulatory challenges it was good to catch up with um a couple of the guys in uh, in canberra in um, February, I think it was, at the AAUS conference. Yep. And um, it was good because we all face the similar challenges. So we all talk <laughs> about where we're going, but everyone's kind of in different places. And some people have um, funding issues. Some people have, to have FTE issues. Some people just um, are happy in with the status quo. Um, so yes, moving together as a collective 100% is a definite advantage. Um, but we're looking at it from the space at the moment. We've got a decently mature operating space with a good safety case behind us. We're situated within the air wing um, with the advantages of our regional um, uh, uh, airspace and unpopulated areas um, where we might be able to, to push this a little bit harder and then bring the other states across with us.
0: What do, you, what do you think about um, multiple emergency service organisations working together with singular uh, capability as well? So, you know, something like, a, a, a you know, it could be owned and operated and, and controlled by policing, but is actually used by fireys, by AMBOs, um, by, you know, situational awareness type organisations. Do, do you think that type of operating model is possible?
1: Yeah, I, I think we actually go bigger than that. It's not just the state, state and, uh, you know, multi um agency response, it's a state and Commonwealth one. You know, Mm. we, it's not just, I mean, not, it's how can we help our brothers and sisters in emergency services? It is, how can we help DFES over here? How Because DFES over here don't have an ARPAS capability at
0: all. Mm.
1: Um, And and that's a discussion for DFES themselves. But um, yeah, we're looking at this to go, how can we help DFES? How can we help police? How could we help um, Border Force? How could we help AFP? How could we help? Everyone in the same industry, and then be multi-platform, uh, and uh, and all have that same capability coming out of it. It, mm. it. it would also reduce the cost for everyone as well. But um, again, that's uh, that's a bigger discussion than uh, just
0: you and I, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a big plan, and, and I'm sure we'll get there um hey look paul we're, we're probably running a bit out of time but we could talk about this forever um look i want to thank you guys again for everything you guys do across your state and, and the work you guys do um and girls do in, in keeping everyone safe you know there's there's no higher calling really in this country than, than serving your country and and um you know i think police are right up there so um thanks so much for, for everything you guys are doing
1: uh, thank you thanks for having me on mate
0: great to talk to you yeah no problems at all and we'll uh, we might do a follow-up in a few months time or, or six or 12 months time and see where we're at yeah no worries at all. all right thanks paul